I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good evening. Welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. Oh, it's another week. It's another bunch of events to break this all down. Of course, you know her, you love her. She is the editor of Toasted Cheese. Stephanie Lynn, good evening, Stephanie. How are you? Getting warmer. How are you doing? Trying to get warm myself. Now, gotta, I guess we got to start with Andrew Brown Jr. In Elizabeth City, North Carolina, there's a man who was shot by deputies last week, and his family was shown like a snippet of body camera f- body camera footage. Andrew Brown, this is according to CNN, was fatally shot by past Quartank County Sheriff's in Elizabeth City on Wednesday when they attempted to serve him an arrest warrant. Basically, they barricaded his car, and he got shot in the back and the back of the head. The police weren't going to release the footage because apparently in North Carolina you need a, a judge's order to They pretty much execute this man in broad daylight again. And you have those cop-humping types who don't understand that he wasn't posing a threat. He might have been running away, but he wasn't endangering anyone. Why is it so difficult for the aforementioned cop-humpers to understand that there are times when you don't need to start shooting folks? I was just astounded. I was actually talking with my husband at dinner tonight about a different shooting. And I said, well, I thought that guy was still alive because they were referring to it. He was reading and he said a fatal shooting. He said, no, 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 this is a different guy. So even just between the two of us, we can't keep all these stories straight. I don't know who's going to have to die here in what way for the, you know, as you're calling them, the cop humpers to to see what's going on. This is just, if you can shoot somebody in the back of the head, that means you're behind them, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and, and people are getting shot in the back constantly. And I keep thinking about, you know, there's one every day, at least one every day, that is just so heinous. You can't look away from it. And all that's really different is that they're on video. And that people feel more comfortable coming forward and say, we want to, we demand to see that video. How, you know, it's unfathomable how many times this has happened that no one has looked at it a second time or no one has listened to a victim's family for centuries. And, and 
if we feel overwhelmed by what we find in the news, you know, one a day or something, to to look back in history at it and then to continue to be like, well, you know, police are doing the best that they can. Mm, no, I, I really don't think so. I think when we started talking, I said I was kind of 50-50 about, you know, cops serve a purpose, but there's a lot of bad ones. That's really changed. I've, you know, sat back and considered my own biases. And, you know, I think at this point it's up to them to prove to me that they're safe people to be around, not just for, um, you know, for me and my family, but for my friends and neighbors and everybody else. And, you know, I hear about somebody having a warrant served on them or something, and it's just terrifying. And I, I honestly don't know how you can go out the door every day and not just, like, cross yourself and hope you'll get home at the end of the day because somebody decided they were going to look at you sideways. Well, it's, to be honest, it's a thought that regularly crosses my mind because I know that there are there's evil in the world, and my only hope is to get back safely and know that, you know what, today was, you know, to paraphrase the line that was used to Arya Stark today is not your day mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that no matter what your arrest record is no matter what your previous history is your skin color is one of those things that is your constant identifier that there are people who have a severe problem with it unfortunately these are the same people who carry weapons in our deputized in funded by taxpayer cash and we know that how certain police operate it's the people who have the blind ardent support that annoy the hell out of me because this isn't touching their lives for the obvious reasons and if I hear one more time well so and so should have complied fuck does that have to do with anything the guy was in his car like, yeah. he was trying to, like, he had people, like, r- rolling up on him. And, like, well, this guy was a criminal. Was he being a criminal at the time? Was he hurting someone at the time? No. And it was uh, Kenneth Owens who said that she wanted to interview the woman that Antoine Blake heard or the one that George Floyd allegedly heard. What does that have to do with them at that moment? Nothing. It has nothing to do with them at that moment. All it is is another excuse to start filling black people with hot lead. And I have people I know who are who are police. We're not too many, but what I do know, you know, I'm so not social, but I'm civil. Hey, how you doing? And just keep going. We're not hanging out. We're not drinking beer. We're not barbecuing it's just a thing and people are like well don't you know it's weird people want everyone to give police the benefit of doubt but they don't extend the same courtesy to black people Mm -hmm. like we're we have been an automatic or suspicious character since we stepped foot on this continent and yet even when we, we don't commit crimes sometimes we don't make it home and that it's weird to me, and speaking of weird in the most awkward transition, 
Rose McGowan. She was called an iconoclast because she appeared on Fox News. If there's a patron saint of white feminism, I guess it would be Rose McGowan. She would be saint trifling of Hollywood. How, how, just how does she manage to go on TV and say the, you know, Democrats are a cult when literally like doctors, nurses, shaman, Dr. Strange, all can't revive her dead-ass career. Yeah. Um, you know, i got to say, I, I didn't watch Charmed, and I really don't know of anything else that she was in. I don't know if, like, maybe she's in romantic comedies, because I don't really watch romantic comedies. I think she was in Scream, and I saw Scream actually for the first time last year. Um, but other than that, I really don't know her from anything, and I understand that she was probably blackballed um, from Harvey Weinstein, and I get that she really has an axe to grind. Um, but I don't think that her grindstone should be the Democratic Party. I don't get um, where she's coming from on that front. Um, I don't know if she feels let down or... Um, like maybe she wasn't supported enough by you know, the political spectrum that she thinks her cause falls into. Um, but, you know, I disagree with Democrats. I just became an independent, but I continue to hold with a lot of their ideals. I just don't like the way that the party does things a lot of the time. Um, but for what they stand for, um, you know, if you're going to be in a cult and it's going to lift half of America's children out of poverty that's not a bad cult to be in. Sign me up for that cult. I'll drink some Kool-Aid. That, that, that's one of those fun cults. That's, that's a cult that, you know, actually enriches the lives of people. And for, like you said, Rose McGowan has her own, you know, Harvey Weinstein abused her. There is no doubt that if there's a hell, his stupid ass needs to go there and stay there. Mm-hmm. And if there's a hell, I hope he's wearing gasoline underwear. And, but if we separate that from her approach, where her Alyssa Milano, two sides of the white feminist coin, like you see marginalized people suffering over here, but no, let's talk about this. And it's just, yeah. it's grating. It's, it's the wanting folks to literally take the signal the turn signal in the car and rip it off. Stay in your goddamn lane. Please, just stay. Just No need to merge, no need to veer, no need to switch. Stay in your appropriate avenue. And she says that Democrats are against changing the world for the better. I'm like, I, you know, if you run opinion, fine. Have your opinion, but that's simply not a fact. The world has been changed for the better in the last hundred days, whether you're a Democrat or not. I think that that's pretty much a crystal clear fact. You know, if, if we'd have stayed on the vaccine track we were on, for example, we wouldn't be at the point we are now until September. That's changing the world for the better. So I, I don't know where she's coming from, and I don't know if maybe she's thinking she might kind of 
team up with conservatives and maybe get some traction there because there aren't a lot of people, um, a lot of Hollywood people that are, I don't know how to say, like not successful but known, I guess, for being conservatives. Like you've got John Voight and Kevin Sorbo, Kirstie Alley, (laughs) people along those lines. So maybe she's thinking that she could be bigger if, and you know, maybe resurrect her career if she had support from the right. I, I, that's just the best I can come up with because the argument itself is nonsensical. So I got to look at what would be her purpose. So unless somebody's, you know, greasing her palm with silver, I, I don't get where she would benefit from making such a weird statement. People are just probably trying to, you know, she's trying to keep her name out there and try to stay relevant and. Her viewpoint is as flimsy as her IMDb, and to me, it's in a way it's kind of sad. But then you realize she's literally trying to go out way to hurt people. There's no pity there. There's more of a shaking your head and you know rolling your eyes. Now, when we come from back from break, we need to discuss Pennsylvania's. Least favorite son, or one of them. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast on the FPC radio network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, Stephanie Lynn, Stephanie, we need to talk about Rick Santorum, which it's funny. I can't imagine anyone in his family even liking this stupid ass, but we're here. Rick Santorum literally said, I just, I guess I got to read this to you. It, it's, it is befuddling for this man to say some things and for CNN to hire him. He said this today. There was nothing here before European settlers arrived. We came here and we created a blank slate, Santorum said. We birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans. But, Kennedy, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. I sit here in Sheboygan, which is a Native American word, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, which is a Native word, the somebody down the street drives a Pontiac, another Native American word, and they're from Michigan, yet still another Native American word. 
Mm-hmm. How? How does this man gather enough synapses to fire to tie his shoe with a lack of brain power? Maybe he wears a moccasin and he doesn't have to tie his shoe. He wears a slide. And he doesn't realize it comes from Native American culture. See, look at this. Like, in CNN, we're both in media. CNN, like, hired him before this, like years before, and I don't think they have any intention on firing him. Mm-mm. Does it say clicks more about... Clicks. Yeah, the clicks are clicks, whether you're clicking there to see what nonsense he said or you're clicking there because you agree with what he said. Is it more of their complete dearth of ethics and nuance or is it just him where he's literally super racist well I think he's super racist for starters not just on the North America or on the Native American front but on the we European Americans birthed a nation from nothing really who did all your manual labor who was raising your children? Who was picking and planting your crops? Were you guys doing it? For the most part, in a lot of a lot of the colonies, no. So he can eschew that argument straight out of the gate. And then to add on top of that, that there isn't much Native American culture in American culture is I, I the only word I can come up with for it is blasphemous. I, I don't know a day goes by when I don't encounter something that has a Native American origin, whether it's a geographic name or a way of doing things. Or, oh, my God, corn, for God's sakes. You know, <laughs> what part of... of I, mean, he, he, I know he went to Penn State, which is in the Appalachians. Um, I took history at Penn State. He had to have taken some history at Penn State. He has to have learned that where he stood in that moment and where he grew up in the Shenandoah Valley and just off the uh, Allegheny and Monongahela Rivers, he had to know that there was such a thing as Native American culture and what it was. Um, like you know, I said many times before, we grew, I grew up in Florida, and Native American education, and specifically Seminole Indian education, was part of our curriculum every year, no matter what school I went to. And we learned a lot about um, how everything from how uh, Seminole Indians would prepare turtle meat to the Trail of Tears and everything in between. And maybe it's an educational thing, but I, I think it's just he just has blinders on. He doesn't believe that anyone other than people that look like him were able to achieve anything to get us from point A to point B, period. I'm surprised that he can conceive a thought or Uh theory, hell, even kids, because he strikes me as the zip-your-nuts-in-your-fly type of person, and it's harmful because it embraces that Trump mentality of, we did this. No, mm-hmm. other people built this country for free. Mm-hmm. And that's what galls me more than anything else, where 
see people like, well, you know, he was just speaking his mind. He's a racist. You can't give a racist uh, any, any 62. It's not like he doesn't know better. That douchebag knows better. Yeah. And he can be racist only once. It's a free country. But CNN doesn't have to put a megaphone in his hand. And it is the worst. She is... I mean, it's just he is just the worst. And network, Jeff Zucker, Jeff Zucker, people are like, oh, he's, you know, he's a visionary. How are you a visionary when you're blind to shit that's right in front of you? Mm-hmm. Jeff Zucker can, and to quote you, and, you know, I'm going to use a, a Stephanieism, eat a bag of dicks, a whole bag, like the giant, like, Eight ounce bag that you know no, normally has air and lays. Nope, just peni right there. All of them mm-hmm. consume all of them. Yep. And with funyun dust on them. Mm-hmm. And okay, that one was a delayed reaction. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought of bugles, and then I thought I would go back to funyuns because I can imagine Rick Santorum messing around with some funyuns. There are so many jokes there, and I'm going to tell some now. Uh, no, but <laughs> he literally is the kind of person that, you know, would mess around with a Funyun, and yes. But I want to talk about the Accountable GOP. Now, this is a group started impartially from Bill Crystal, which editor of the National Review, Republican, Gatfly type, He's trying to horn in on the Lincoln Project Cash by exposing Republicans like Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise and while praising Liz Cheney. All these people are assholes, and it's just a different shade of... Honestly, it's a different shade of butt, and it's... They're trying to parse and <laughs> they're trying to parse intolerance, and I think that's funny because these are people who say, "Well, you know, I'm a Reagan Republican." Do you know that that senile fuck was the most one of the most racist presidents in the United States? Like, he probably made Andrew Jackson wince. Oh yeah, I will never forgive Reagan for well for many things, but for. Um the crack epidemic, and the AIDS crisis. If those were the only two fuck-ups he had, that'd still be enough. Yet, you got Bill Crystal saying, well, we're going to try to save the party. The party's a party right now. It'll never go back to what it was. And even back then, it was still a piece of shit. Hey, we're going to save this piece of crap. (laughs) He fished the party out of the toilet and put it in a bag of rice. Pretty much. like He literally for the best. Exactly, and you see people like commending them. Well, the Lincoln Project flipped the election. Lincoln Project also had some very skeevy, creepy-ass people behind it, mm-hmm. and they just wanted to save the Republican Party for themselves. They could give a fuck about you, me, or anybody else. Mm-hmm. And people don't really understand that. And I just there's a level of dumb, just mind-boggling. Speaking of, 
there are millions of Americans who are resisting or refusing a second COVID shot. I don't understand. Like, it's the second one. Like, I and the last time we saw, I said, you know, I'm gonna, I'll be the person was I'm walking out of a clinic and I'm gonna like take the obligatory picture. Hell, I might go on video with the card in front of my face and I'm gonna sing. I was it, hoping you would sing. I am going to sing that song because I'm happy. It has been the longest fucking year ever. Mm-hmm. Give me the vaccine and wait a couple of weeks to power up and let's go. And yet there are people who think that one's enough. These people think that the moon landing was fake and Tim Kardashian's ass is real. So, I mean, how are they this obtuse? You, <laughs> um, well, I read a little bit like comments and replies to the New York Times article that came out. And some people are having like legit issues. Like one person had an uh, allergic reaction to the first dose, and therefore the doctor said, well, you should skip the second dose. That's one issue. Another issue is someone uh, got bad information when they got their first dose, and when the second dose was scheduled, it was scheduled at a different location. They missed the appointment and couldn't get it. Or someone showed up at the right place at the right time, but their first dose was Pfizer, and all they had on on hand that day was Moderna. You know, things like that. I mean, this still is not exactly the smoothest thing. Um, I was actually, I read a comment from somebody. She had to come from outside Philadelphia to Altoona, where I'm getting my second COVID shot probably before this episode goes live. That's a five-hour drive because it wasn't available anywhere closer to Philadelphia than Altoona. Um, but, you know, that's what maybe a percent of people, you know, would cover in some of those categories. And from what I read, it's 8% of people not getting their second doses. And among the African-American community, it's 8% of people who aren't getting their second doses. So it's not out of skew with the general population, even though vaccine hesitancy is a real concern. My wonder is, you know, is it because people are unable to get to their appointments or the vaccine's not being offered or it's the wrong dose? So I asked my uh, family practice husband um, how many of his patients, like what percentage he would say roughly, are noncompliant? Like you tell them to take a med and they won't take it or you tell them to make a follow-up appointment with a specialist and they won't do it. And he said if he had to guess conservatively, 30 to 40%. Oh, that's high. That's high. And that's like, you know, let, let's say he sees 20 people in a day. You know, he's got six people who are refusing to take their diabetes medication or something like that. So, and, and that's day in, day out. So the idea that eight out of 100 people aren't taking the second dose for whatever reason, including things that are out of their control, I wonder if that's actually pretty good from the article I was unclear about whether or not 8% of people aren't getting their second dose is higher than expected lower than expected just plain different um, and what the situation was Um, you know I read this today and you know I'm just like okay well 
yeah, I'm, my mother had a bad reaction to hers last week, ended up um, in the ER, and then went home that night, so it wasn't a huge thing. But they couldn't keep her because they had no beds because we're in a COVID uh, surge right now. But um, so I'm anxious about getting my shot tomorrow, but I'm getting it. I'm getting my COVID vaccine. I'm getting my autism booster and my personal 5G all in one. So I'm good. See, look at that. See, it is all the, see, it's the all-inclusive, like, I want the a microchip and the ability to fly. Yeah, I want a Geiger counter in my shoulder, like $6 million man. And when I run, I want to and then have like a little band behind me. I am, Lee Major is chronically underrated. Now, I have a question. This is out of way left, but your husband is a doctor. Just without detail, have you ever seen him just, you know, come home from bad day of work and say, you know what, these fucking people? Like, oh, yeah. The, oh. Yeah, it's not giving anything away. It, it's rough. You know, I can't speak for him directly, but I know um, at at the family practice level, you're kind of, Step one, someone has a problem, they come to the family practice stuff. And then you end up, you know, doing testing and diagnosing and stuff like that. And then you get people to where they need to be if they need to see a specialist, if they need to see someone additional. If the test isn't enough, you got to, you know, go on for more testing. And then, you know, you're arguing with an insurance company half the day because they don't want to cover the um, – brand name medication for somebody that has to have that brand name they can't have the generic and, you know it, it's and then the paperwork and um like online stuff that he used to have to do paper notes at home and now he does stuff on the laptop basically with a break to help my daughter with physics homework and a break for dinner from the time he comes home to the time he goes to bed and he's been in practice for over 20 years well, he was in residency when we got married, and that was like 23 years ago. So it, it's kind of, it, it's taxing, and, you know, kind of affects the whole, everybody. But in his office, everybody's kind of in the same boat. There are other docs that you can kind of let off steam with and stuff. But um, he has said, and he said this um, to a teacher at um, parent-teacher night for my daughter, that he's never lost as many patients in such a short amount of time as he has in the last year. Has he ever had a uh, bruh moment when somebody is at his office without details or just just a, just the exasperated just bruh? Just when he when he relays a story, the eyes roll up in the head. You're like, mm-hmm. these MFs. Yeah, there's there's plenty. There's something something big. I'd say you know maybe at least once a month, something like huge. Um, There's a story he tells that he told last, I want to say summer or fall, uh, he had a patient come in on a Monday and the patient was having COVID symptoms. And he said, um, well, I need you to go down and get tested. He got him the order for testing, got the appointment scheduled for when to go down and to go down and get tested if it gets worse go to the ER, um, you know, ran down everything for him. On Tuesday, the guy was supposed to go and have his COVID test, never showed for it, showed up in the ER instead, and by Friday he was dead. And that was not too far in 
like it was, I'm going to say like June or July maybe, I'm thinking, because this guy, there was another guy who wanted permission to go to a picnic, a company picnic. And my husband said, no, your company shouldn't be having a picnic. So no, you're not getting permission from me to go. And of course, the guy went anyway, and then there's a big COVID outbreak at the company that has the picnic. So, and, and that's the stuff is you can't, it's, if you're frustrated by seeing people in the grocery store without their masks and stuff, yeah, just imagine now they're coming in to your place of work telling you that they've got a cough and you know, all these different COVID symptoms, but they won't wear their mask up over their nose. Literally, it's 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 our favorite saying, like you're the head of the caucus, but people are fucking around and they're finding out. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, they're paying with their lives. When yeah. we step back in from this lightning fast break, because this is what we do, we're going to... We had so deep a response to our music part. We need to bring back some music chat, but not before we talk about anti-beef. So we're going to be back with the Black Tuesday podcast on the FBC radio network. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, Stephanie Lenz. Stephanie, have you ever heard of the site Epicurious? I have. I'm going to read this, and I... They, uh, as an omnivore, this gets on my nerves. So, basically, for those who don't know, Epicurious is a site devoted to food. We're both foodies. This is what they said. Today we announced that Epicurious is cutting out beef. It won't appear in the new Epicurious recipes, articles, Newsletters are on social. This isn't a vendetta against cows or the people who eat them. It's a shift about sustainability and anti-beef, but not, we're not anti-beef, but pro-planet. So they're pretty much saying we love cows, but fuck pigs. <laughs> and chickens. And chickens. And sheep. You know what? You know what? We are pro-cows, but, you know, sheep can go play in traffic. Or fish, or shrimp, or lobster, anything, just fine. We are going to protect the cows. If you are a non-vegan or vegetarian site, do you think that this is a rather odd stance? There's something weird that everyone's talking about beef all of a sudden. Remember when they used to advertise beef it's what's on for dinner. TV? Yeah, it's what's for dinner. And it was Robert Mitchum's voice telling you what's for dinner. I'm like, yes, sir, Mr. Mitchum. Right away, I'll run and get a steak. But yeah, it's there's something weird going on, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a like a a kind of echo of what we found out in early COVID when the meatpacking places stayed open, like um, where we lived in Colorado was where they do this meatpacking, and it was just it, it smelled just vile. It's a joke in South Park, actually, what Greeley smells like. But um, I, and th- that's a huge industry. There's a lot of money from the beef industry gets pumped into politics and everything else. So that there's an anti-beef movement or a per- perceived anti-beef movement, like we're not supposed to have plant-based beer anymore, whatever the hell that's supposed to be. Like I, and I don't Biden know what's going business. on. <laughs> yeah, like... Like Joe Biden's trying to do with, away with your burgers for Fourth of July, and he's trying to do away with your um, plant-based beer. 
Right. Like, you know, like these, these idiots can't read a goddamn label like, dude. Um, and then you, well, you know, we're just pro cows and we're pro really. Cause there are other animals that, you know, meet their end and end up in my freezer and I'm thankful for it. It's such yep. a weird flex. It's so weird. You people congratulate them. Well, you know, it's a great step. The thing about beef, what I always, I mean, I'm a, we, tonight was burger night, by the way. So I'm not anti-beef at all. In fact, we have beef at least once a week. Um, it's, a, it's, I, it's fine for people who are running up a curious to say, we're going to just have non-beef menus. When ground beef is one of the easiest, freshest things I can find at my grocery store. And it's something that I can take a pack of ground beef and I can turn that into a huge casserole for a lot of people. And, you know, I grew up with burgers and, and hamburger helper and everything else. So it's kind of coming from a position of the haves telling the have-nots or the have-lesses. You can't. You have to now take this off your table because if you don't, you're not pro-planet. No, I'm very pro-planet. I just, you know, want to have burgers once a week or I'm going to have, you know, a cookout on the grill this summer. And we use all parts of cows. You know, we have cow leather used for things and we have cow bones are used for things. And it's it's not like it's a, you know, just eat the meat and throw everything else away kind of thing. Does, does it have to be improved? Yes. Animal welfare has to be improved. The environmental impact of cattle raising has to be improved. But we can't just put it all on beef. We have to change that with chicken. We change mm-hmm. that with fish farming. All Chicks. across the board. Exactly. And what kills me is you see these people where they will be all, you know, they will speak from the voice of being pro-cow, but why are you wearing a leather belt? Why you that leather? Why you have that leather jacket on, a leather bag, or leather shoes? Mm-hmm. You know, or leather seats in your car. That you know, I got. Well, I don't buy leather. Is there leather in your vehicle? Is there leather on your desk chair? Exactly, and it's just—it's so weird. And since we're on food, I gotta, you know, gotta shade one of my children. So. As you know, I have two children. One is six, one is four. My little girl eats like her dad. Just, she will have salsa verde on eggs. She likes spicy chips. She will, she, now, they both had corn dogs today, which is just, it's a foul of the first, because corn dogs are disgusting. Mm-hmm. But, Agree. She dipped hers in barbecue sauce, and you know what? As gross as corn dogs are, that's passable. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. My boy, although four years old and talkative as the day is long, is out here putting ketchup on his corn dog, and the smell was straight rancid. Did he look I you look- in the eyes while he did it? He he was just like, oh, this is so good. He literally could have, I could have just jumped in the casket right now, and he could have let me down one more time. I mean, it was so bad. It, oh, it was the smell of the ketchup, the absorption of the cornbread of the ketchup. It was hideous. 
he he walks up. Oh, Dad, you know this is good. breath smelling like ketchup. My stomach was honestly, if my stomach decided to compete for the Olympic team in gymnastics, it did about seventy-five flips before touching the ground. It was beautiful, and he's four years old. I'm like. I can't explain to him why ketchup is wrong. So I had to take that L, and I will save the competition for when he's about seven or eight. Because if I nip the ketchup thing in the bud now, he won't be an adult trying to put this on his food. On a corn dog, which was just bad. The whole concept of a corn dog is fucker to start with. Here you have cornbread, or something they call cornbread, rolled over a hot dog. You know, one time we talked about cornbread, and for some reason I had grits in my head, and I described how I wanted grits instead of how I wanted cornbread. So I have them all tangled up inside my head. I don't know why. I mean... So I, I wanted to put out that correction that I do, in fact, <laughs> love sweet cornbread. I don't like sweet grits. Now, I mean, for me, I can you know, deal with the, like, I can't deal with ketchup, but I can put it aside, but cornbread and a hot dog, there's usually the hot dogs that that taste like Persephone, New Jersey. It just, <laughs> it just goes through you like, oh, this is just some straight up Jersey Turnpike water right here. And it's just, I mean, we're literally like, I. he's like, dad, try this. So I took a nibble of my daughter's before she put the heaping mound of barbecue sauce on it. And it was like that that hot dog was so gross. I mean, it had to be like, uh, it was just, it looked like it was boiled in GNU sweat. It was just terrible. It was just, it's just one of those things that I just, I looked at them both, and I said to myself, they will make better food choices. I guarantee it. Oh, yes. It's going to happen. Now, we had so much great feedback about music. You are a Duran Duran fan, 80s music fan, correct? Yes. Now, I need you to have, have a few questions. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even Maybe. realize it was one of my special interests until we were talking last week. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where that went. Yep, and now it's back. See, and now it's back. You dug in the, the recesses of your mind. You okay. have pulled it back out. Like, it is It is now here. Now, Tiffany or Debbie Gibson, please settle the argument. Okay. <laughs> um, if... Somebody said you must listen to one to a song by one of these two. I honestly do not know. I was going to say Debbie Gibson, but I think it's because when Tiffany came out and I was in high school and she had red hair and brown eyes and I had red hair and brown eyes and people started calling me Tiffany, I think I prejudiced against her. But I think We're Alone Now, the original, is a good song. So I'm kind of tempted to say if I had to, if you gave me the entire song catalog by these two, I would probably pick that specific song. 
and then go wash my ears. In preparation of this topic, I decided to do some research. Okay. So I watched all their videos that I could find, and I would probably agree with because Debbie Gibson, I watched the video for Electric Youth. There are so many files in that video. I would like to sit there and explain a couple now. One, the vest and the oh jean shorts with the dress shoes and the slouchy socks. Well, I, I got to say, I did my share of um, slouchy socks in 1988 and 1989. They went well with granny boots. I am, but it's just the music and, like, the Debbie Gibson dancing. It was so bad. Like, she literally just kept her feet in the ground, like, moved her knees, just, and thought she was doing something like with the up, the upper body. It was so disjointed. It was like watching a Fellini film high on acid and mushrooms. If I ever took both, I'd, I never have, but I'm guessing. It was terrible. It The dancing was off. They, they threw the band off. That's how bad her rhythm was. Yeah, the dancing is like watching an alpaca being born. It's yes. not good. No. It's not good. But I, remember, she was on The Apprentice, too. Yes, she was. So that's another strike against her. And she, she was right you there, know, sycophanting, yes, Mr. Trump. And it's like, oh, for God's sake. And then she decided to, you know, disassociate herself and call herself Deborah. Look now, you, you've been Debbie Gibson since I was about, I don't know, 12? Yeah. You will be Debbie Gibson forever. Deborah Gibson has never accomplished a goddamn thing. Debbie Gibson made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The best and thing to come out of Debbie Gibson was Robin Sparkle. I'm just well, laying damn. out the facts. Well, damn. Yeah, I'm just putting oh, it out there. And the hat. She wore that, like, the blossom hat. That hat. Yeah. There's a hat like that. I, I play The Sims, and there's a hat like that in The Sims, and you have to put it with this certain dress. And then once you have the, like your stem in the hat and the dress, it's just you're doing an 80s theme, maybe a 90s theme if you can get your stem to live, but they don't want to live in that hat. No, I, I never no. had a hat like that. i got to say, I had a lot of bad 80s fashion. I never had the little hat with the little brim and a flower on it or whatever well, that was. I dated a girl who wore that hat, and I just... There are things as a 15-year-old boy that you overlook because you're a 15-year-old boy and your mind is elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I overlooked the hell out of that hat. That hat was trash. It, it, it looked like a potted plant. It, what gets me, too, is the vest look. <laughs> it, moms wore vests. Mm-hmm. You know, the lady who was the receptionist at the office you went to, she wore vests. My mother was a, a big sewer, and she made a lot of my clothes, and she started making me vests. I was like, no, no, no more vests. I will not wear the vests. And she's like, well, they're in stores. I'm like, yeah, and they can stay in stores. So, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of questionable fashion choices, but the vest, the hat, no. The slouchy socks, yeah. It was pegged jeans, and you put the jeans down inside the socks. Oh, no. Yeah, I was all about that. I can still peg jeans to this day. I may or not may or may not have pegged my six-year-old jeans just to see I could do it last week. I guess they would do it. 
She looked at me like, the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I remember doing that with my daughter. She had jeans that were too long. And I was like, hey, I can roll them up in a really cool way. And I rolled them up, pegged them and rolled them up. And she just looked at me and she says, no. And she just pulled the seam thing. I just made them plain rolled up. And it was like, oh, that's disappointing. Um, you know, but back to music now. I just, <laughs> Not if they're going to talk just, about Debbie Gibson and Tiffany. <laughs> that's what I, we had to. Because it was now, would you agree that where Madonna went sideways? Was after oh, yeah. like a prayer? Yes. I would go so far as to say, um, well, like a prayer was out 30 years ago this week. I didn't, I didn't need to feel old there, Steph. Yeah. Sorry. But, well, I felt it, and so I felt the need to pass it on. Um, well I think uh, she, like, um, the, uh, uh, what's the album I'm thinking of? Like around, oh, 98 or so, like the, the mother album that she put out that was a good album and then she put out music that was the last madonna album i bought and i thought there was something wrong with the disc it had a song that had skipping in it so i actually returned the disc to my local borders and had to get another disc from them and took it home and it did the same thing as like oh that's the song and i don't think with the exception of other songs she did in an austin powers movie i have listened to new madonna since or maybe evita but that's it. And I, I used to really, I, I was really influenced by Madonna when I was, like, in my early teens. I thought she was great because she would talk about, you know, how it was to be feminine or a woman, or she would talk about sexuality, and nobody was doing that at the time. And it's like, oh, so it's okay to talk about things and think about things. And, you know, I didn't have anywhere to go and, and find out about stuff. But Madonna would put it in a video for you. But, um, yeah, like, once she kind of turned it once she moved to england everything just kind of went pear-shaped so to speak she got that 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 accent she's she started adopting black kids like black kids from africa whose country didn't want her ass there it just became a whole thing and for me like a prayer was like her it's funny because that was her last to me her major moment her last i know people want to say vogue that shit was annoying i'm sorry it just it's irritating um but her like last gasp to me, last gasp was a uh, secret. The guitar part in secret was just the oh, lyrics yeah. were trash, but it was a good guitar part. It was a good, you know, it was different. But like a prayer and live to tell is the greatest Madonna song ever. That's a good song. Because it's so underrated. It was from a movie. Yeah, and, and that, um, at close range. Mm-hmm. With Sean Penn. And I think Christopher Walken. Yes. Yeah. And it, that, that was also a really good look for her, too. Mm-hmm. And it worked for her because it wasn't, the song wasn't about her. It was about, it just, it was a perfectly sung, it was perfectly, like the music was, it was perfect. That should go in the time capsule. Now, I'm not going to sit here and talk about Shanghai Surprise or Who's That Girl or Madonna shouldn't be in movies. Let's just be honest. Body of Evidence, no. A League of Their Own. I'll her, make an exception for. Her only one. Her only one. And that's because of the director, not because of Madonna. Exactly. And it's just, with Madonna's one of those things. Now, if we move to like 
kind of 80s music where I'm going to kind of make a couple of declarative statements. I didn't like Paul Abdul. Paul Abdul's music annoyed the shit out of me. Because she's like talking. You're not singing, you're talking. And then you're, you know, you're talking over it and you're making all these funny faces. Yes, can dance. Phenomenal dancer. Yeah. Song stylings of, uh, you know, a melancholy ferret. <laughs> when I think of Paula Abdul, I think of, you know, after I think about her dancing and her choreography, you know, like the um, nasty video. Mm-hmm. That, that was, you know, that was choice. But I did like Cold Hearted Snake. Or Cold Hearted, you know, however it was titled. Yeah. I liked that song. That was pretty groovy. But then they just kind of inundated us. And it's hard to, to tell the youngsters how we just got inundated with Paula Abdul songs. It was just, you know, it was just one after the other, and they would overlap on the charts. And it was like, just give us a break. Please stop. And now she's in commercials for, like, on a hip medication or something. I'm like, no, stop. That makes me feel real old. I'm Mm -hmm. like, she's doing, like, hip stuff. I'm like, seriously, this is is what we're doing now. Like, this is -hmm. is how we live in. Now, what what was your, if you had a breakup song in the 80s, what was it? Oh, well, (laughs) I'm not going to say Smith's song after our conversation, but Morrissey. Um... With or without you is a good breakup song. It is. Because it's a good song, and then you can extrapolate it to be a breakup song if you want. Uh, my kids love Careless Whisper. Really? That did not come from that. me. They discovered it on their own, and they love it. I can see that. Mine was not so much a breakup song, but like a sad kind of introspective was Never Tear Us Apart by NXS. That is their finest moment. Yes. I had that album. That is a fantastic album. That is their finest moment. That song, to this day, if you listen to it, it it touches you. It it, it reaches there and it grabs something about you. You're like, huh. It reminded me of being in a specific place, Bishop's Corner. This is a girl I liked. Um, I think I was in eighth grade and she was in tenth. Mm-hmm. And we went on a date. And then I realized that I was in eighth grade and she was in tenth. And I just, it's funny because when I got to high school, she was in 11th and, you know, things improved, but that's not a story. But it's more of hearing that song and just, it's beautifully, it's so, the saxophone is beautifully, beautifully performed. And I wish that NXS was around a little longer. I know that everything happened, but it was one of those things that it just, it worked. Now, were you a fan of any, like, 80s rock? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I was sitting here thinking, um, there was, there's like every rose has its thorn. Pennsylvania's <laughs> <Not> my... own. <laughs> yes. I, I have a friend from college who went to the same high school as Brett Michael. Didn't know him. He was a few years ahead of him, but yeah, so there's always that. <laughs> now, I, you know, I wouldn't use it for my breakups. I'm not into the, the hair rock, but I, I do some glam rock. And no, yeah, my I mean, my husband loves 
music one and and rock and roll too, so I can't get out of hearing it. And my son is just now discovering music on his own. Like you know, the Spotify logarithm has pegged what he likes and keeps suggesting new things to him. So every now and then I'll come in and he'll be listening to some song I haven't heard in twenty or thirty years, and I don't want to let on too much. I'm like, oh, that's really cool, and. So I'm just very casually saying, oh, yeah, that's a great song. And inside I'm just, that's Joy Division. <laughs> Something like that. It, no. It's fun to hear. He had to share, he's doing music now as one of his specials, and he had to share a song with the class. And everybody so far has shared something from a movie or something from a video game. And he shared Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Oh, wow. Yeah. That man has really profound and musical taste. Mm -hmm. I like, I still do like 80s rock, hair, glam. I'm, I remember one day we will have a concert story about me and my first concert. Oh. I, ooh, that might be a concert edition of the Black Tuesday podcast because it was young me, was even 12, and went to Motley Crue. Really? And the thing you that know, I, I saw... I gotta say, "Girls, Girls, Girls" is a terribly unfeminist song, and I absolutely love it. When I became old enough, and I was in Florida on vacation, mm -hmm. I kind of had to see the dollhouse in Fort Lauderdale. I'm just saying, just had to look go go look outside and say, hey, "Look, there's a picture." I gotta find these pictures. There's a me me standing outside of the dollhouse in Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. It is a. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. It is an establishment. We're just going to leave it at that. But, yes, like... You can find Usher Bucks there. Oh, my God. Usher Bucks all over the place. Raining from the <laughs> ceilings everywhere. <laughs> Let your money be funny at the dollhouse. But it's... Motley Crue is one of those bands that, to this day, and I'm still a fan of it, it was a, a vibe, like Dr. Feelgood. Like, I never wanted to be sick so much in my life. But... Mm -hmm. It's a good song. And like Bon Jovi, a good song. Bon Jovi was one of those bands in the '80s that you give love a bad name or living on a prayer. I told, I tweeted the story that uh, my son was going upstairs and asked where he was going. He's like, "I'm going to my room. I'm halfway there." And I looked. And I said to myself, "I'm going to have to sing this now." And I literally belted out the whole song. And I think the two protagonists in that song, Johnny and Tina, they probably have grandkids now. Yeah. Jesus. And, yeah, and yeah. have you seen Bon Jovi lately? He looks yeah. phenomenal. Yes. He looks so good. And it's like, yeah, he's roughly my age. And he looks amazing. <laughs> he didn't have that hard rock and roll lifestyle, I guess. So. No, he used to go home and just hang with his kids and his wife, who's apparently a... Uh, she has a third-degree black belt. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I remember that fact, but no, Bon Jovi is one of those bands that everybody, it's like, even though we may not be fans of them, Warrant, like yeah. heaven. Yeah. Seriously, it is the biggest chorus. The chorus is so big, you might you can't listen to it with headphones on. You got to listen and turn it up at full blast, and then everybody knows it. You sing it to the top of your lungs. Yep. We were talking earlier about Tiffany, and around the same time, 
Here I Go Again came out with Tawny Katane on the cover of, a, or on the, the hood of a car. And I'm like, no one's comparing me to this redhead. <laughs> comparing me to Tiffany. So, yeah, that was out around the same time, too. All that kind of, you know, hair metal, hair rock, you know. Um, the third album I ever bought with my own money was Queen's The Game. Yes. The first two were disco albums. Mm-hmm. I bought Saturday Night Fever when I was like five, and then I picked uh, <laughs> Donna Summer's Bad Girls, which was a double album with my second choice, and then my third choice, 1980, I, I had bought The Game. So I used to sit and look at that Donna Summer album and look at the pictures inside it. If you can find it online, look it up and think about an eight-year-old sitting there looking at those pictures and reading the lyrics to Bad Girls. Because that was my life. That's why I needed Madonna in my life to straighten that out for me. <laughs> it just like just Donna Summer and just like the mm-hmm. even the believe it or not the Guns N' Roses influence in the eighties, where mm-hmm. they to me this is another bold statement. They're the last great American rock band as far as like I pure straight ahead, like. Dirty, might need a, a penicillin shot, um, yeah. might need some, some ointment, but <laughs> they... Miller actually used to do a really funny bit about Guns N' Roses that I can't repeat here, but back when he was funny, he did one about how um, Izzy Stradlin was kicked out of Guns N' Roses. He said, what do you have to do to get kicked out of Guns N' Roses? <laughs> And it's just like, Welcome to the Jungle is one of those iconic songs, like the opening. Absolutely. You just hear it, and you're like, your heart beats a little faster. You're like, I need to go and just do something. I don't know what it is, but I need to do something constructive because I got all this burgeoning energy, and you just lost your shit. And it was just, it That's was weird. That, it tells a story with the lyrics, and it tells another story with the music. Yes, because the music is... It was just gritty, like like mm-hmm. bar bathroom gritty. Yep. You're like, oh. And, that's, that, and I like stuff like that, and I'm not big. And that's why I'm not big on poison and stuff like that, because it, it seems to me manufactured, and it seems to me like they're just, you know, one good Noxema wipe away from losing everything that makes them interesting. Even their fans were completely different, where, mm-hmm. you know, me, high school guy, they were, you know, if you liked a girl who was a Poison fan, it was all about just, you know, Brett Michaels and swooning. But if you liked a girl who was a Guns N' Roses fan, chances are she had cigarettes. And... <laughs> she, didn't, she had her own lighter. She had her own lighter, no she had her own cigarettes, lighter. and she knew how to fight. And, <laughs> and she, could, she could melt her eyeliner with the lighter, too. Uh-huh. And she had those cigarettes at the ready in that jean jacket. With a yep. big old Guns N' Roses T-shirt on and the patch on the back of the goddamn jean jacket, I feel it. And it was one of those things that, when they came back with Use Your Illusion and stuff, they had the there were three songs. It was you could was it Don't Cry, Strange, and November Rain. It was like a mini movie, the trilogy. Yeah. And it was maybe the best three videos is a story ever and to see Axl Rose in November Rain, you know, the visual of all the candles and walking down with Aaron Everhart and it's just it's the cinematic. It that's when movie the music videos were it was like mini movies and 
there will never be another one. It's just, you know, the 80s were, a 80s and early 90s were a phenomenal time. Now, let me ask you this. Okay. Last question. Okay. Better or more, more iconic opening of a rock song? Okay. Smell like Teen Spirit? Welcome to the Jungle. You can pick one to listen to every day for the rest of your life. Oh, that, that's not fair. <laughs> oh, man. I, hmm. I mean, I, I would like to say Welcome to the Jungle because it's amazing. And I, I like how it opens. I like how it ends. And I like everything in between. But I am a dyed-in-the-wool Nirvana fan. Smells Like Teen Spirit isn't my favorite Nirvana song, but if I had to listen to one of them all day, every day, I could listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit all day, every day. And I think in 1992 I did. So I'm, I'm begrudgingly am going with probably one of my top five favorite bands and saying Nirvana. For me, it's, it's hard because I've fluctuated on this question for... Almost three decades now, which means I need to get a fucking life. But it's, to me, it is one of those things that, it depends on the mood where you hear the opening of Smelly Teen Spirit, you're like, you know it's coming. You know it's about to happen. But Guns N' Roses had that long opening, and you can just feel your pulse quicken, and you're like, because when I, when I heard Welcome to the Jungle so many times, it was usually an, an athletic background where I'm playing a sport. Mm-hmm. And my mind goes to that place where I can shut everything out. I hear that song. I need to run through a wall or some shit. I need to. I need to. I need something. I need to calm my ass down because I'm about to either have a stroke, a seizure, or probably my head's gonna explode. But I'm about to have some fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can say this: Weird Al didn't parody "Welcome to the Jungle," so mm-hmm. I got to give the tip to Weird Al. He he did "Smells Like Nirvana." He did when he had the collapsible guitar. Yeah. You know the collapsible, you know, guitar with the Ben Shapiro affect. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And um, <sighs> my kids know and love Weird Al, and I played one time. Played like well, we had watched Twins is the new trend, reacting to Smells Like Teen Spirit, and I said, well, let's listen to the song because any excuse. I put on the video on YouTube, and they were unimpressed. And I said, well, how about this? I put on Smells Like Nirvana, and they thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever heard, and then they wanted to go back and listen to the actual song. I'm like, I just played you the song. But, you know, if Weird Al does it, then it's okay. You have to find, I think I should send it to you, the, there's a mashup of um, Never Gonna Give You Up and Smell Like Teen Spirit. It is Rick Astley doing the singing with Nirvana in the background. It is phenomenal. And the little dance, like he's wearing like the little, they they spliced the video together and he's Mm -hmm. like doing a little dance with the little, (laughs) damn near pissed my pants. I could not stop fucking laughing. It was hilarious. He did that little shimmy, crying. Oh my gosh. There's yet another redhead. (laughs) Exactly. Rick, Rick Astley, another great redhead. Um, my kids play, well, my daughter specifically decided she was playing for me tonight a mix where someone took Amish Paradise and Gangsta's Paradise and every other beat played one of the songs. And it went back and forth, every word between the two, and it has lyrics on it, to t- like, like captioning to tell you what the lyrics are supposed to be. 
that's a funny one too. I don't know the exact title of it, but if you look for um, like Amish Paradise Gangster Paradise mashup, you should be able to find it. And the thumbnail is a split screen with a narrow strip of Weird Al in the Coolio outfit and Coolio on the right. And then you have the right video. That's fun to listen to. Speaking of the Rick Astley one, there is apparently a couple of years ago he was at the O2 Arena when the Foo Fighters were there. They did a hard rock version. I'm never going to give you up. And goddamn it, he killed it. He killed it. I will send oh, yeah. it to he. I mean, he brought every bit of his soulfulness to it. He meant that shit. He, whoo. And I just found out not long ago that he's like maybe five years older than I am. I mean, he's still out there rocking. I didn't know he was as young as he was. I mean, he was around for a while. You know, he, mm-hmm. you know, and that song, like, Rick Rolling was a thing. That kind of made him an icon. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. everyone knows that song. Yeah, my kids didn't know Smells Like Teen Spirit, but they know every word to um, Never Gonna Give You Up. Oh, and Together Forever, they know all the words to that, too, just because it's a Rick Astley song. I'm like, I mean, they know he had, like, two hits and was not. No, we don't care. And they he parlayed take on me for the same reason. Again, one of us will have to sing that high note, which will be you. But <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen the or heard the acoustic version of "Take on Me," it'll bring tears to your eyes. Oh, is that good? I need they to go look that up. Live. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh, that is interesting. Live not long ago. It's absolutely beautiful. And when I he hits listen. those notes, mm-hmm. the audience just is weeping, and, and you'll be weeping. So be ready for it. Now, how can people interact with you on social media? They can find me at Twitter at Edenza, E-D-E-N-Z-A. This has been a phenomenal episode. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Tuesday podcast. I was going to go to bed, now I have to go listen to music. This has been an episode of Black Tuesday podcast. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Don't eat corn dogs.